sounds of noted American slacker Steve Malcolmus and his jicks. Means it's time for another Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this Fantasy Friday edition of said podcast is Rotographs editor and expectant father, Eno Saris. In what follows, uh, Saris and I get down immediately to the brassiest of tacks, beginning the episode with a discussion of closer situations, uh, specifically those as are unfolding in Boston, Washington, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, probably some others. Indeed, not only a lot of unrest at the end of a number of teams' bullpens, but certainly a lot of questions being asked also by fantasy owners about the ends of those bullpens. Moving on, Saris and I discussed those players that appear most frequently on the rosters of the 12 teams Saris currently owns. If you're familiar at all with his work, you know that Lucas Duda is one of those names, but which other two names appear at the top of the list? We'll discuss that and why said names might appear at the top of Vino's lists. Finally, we discuss Fangraphs the game, both some of the basic facts about it and also some of the, the strategies that appear to be revealing themselves in the early days of that game. It's Rotographs editor Eno Saris. It's Fantasy Friday, and it begins right now. A lot of uh, closer talk. Everyone's worried about Chris Perez. Right. Well, I, actually, I'd, uh, to the degree that I do prepare for, for these conversations, that is one of the things that I had uh, written down uh, to discuss. I, I, generally speaking, I'll submit that even though I, I like fantasy baseball quite a bit um, and uh, am very invested in, um, in the leagues uh, in which I participate, uh, n- neither of those leagues puts a great deal of uh, emphasis or premium on the closer spot. We, there's, we have the Auto New League in, uh, in which you and I participate, the uh, Fangraphs Writers League. Um, and closers are important in that, but because we use linear weights, I think that the – not to the exclusion necessarily of other relievers, like you'll find in traditional um, setups. And then, and then you know, I'm in another league where it's not even important at all. Um but I imagine, I imagine just generally, you know, leagues where where saves are one of the categories, you, you have to stay um, up to date on closer statuses constantly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, early in my fantasy career, it was the easiest, it's sort of the easiest way to uh, get ahead. I mean, just stay on top of the news and be the first guy who picks up the new closer and. It, you know, and I, I totally understand the backlash, and I've had some personal backlash myself where I'm kind of like, gosh, we're just safe. we're just chasing around this silly little stat. Um, but I mean, they're all kind of silly little stats, and I don't, I, I don't really hate on it too much. I think it's kind of fun. I, I've talked to you before about thinking stupid and trying to, trying to predict what the manager will decide. Um, and, uh, and I think it's, it, uh, it's obviously something that takes up a lot of time in uh, the media. I mean, there's a lot of post-game questions about it. There's a lot of speculation about it, not just the fantasy media. So, um, you know, I understand that, you know, if we were to run a bullpen ourselves, we would probably just pick the best pitchers and find the best matchups and maybe not even have 
a quote-unquote closer. Um, but, you know, still in the real world today, they still have closers, and so it kind of makes sense to still have saves as a fantasy stat. So I don't hate on it too much. It, it can get um, It can get sort of depressing at times when, you know, half your questions in your chat are about closers. It, it seems um, to me... It seems to me that it's the equivalent that essentially saves are the equivalent of, of a, a sort of hustle stat for and it's funny because you actually referenced your fantasy career. So you as as a fantasy owner, um, at this point in your career, um, it seems like you've come to terms with it. But the, the the save stat seems to be sort of a gauge of the degree to which um, you're invested in in the game. Right, because uh, if you know if you visit if you visit you know a site like Rotographs or or you know you're constantly searching you know like other sites like like Roto World or Roto Wire for uh, you know for up to date up to date news or you follow Twitter feeds of you know various beat writers uh, you know especially looking for because here we're talking about roles right I mean you talk about either injuries or roles um, and the, you know the two uh, interact. Um, but those are the sort of things that gauge the fantasy owners, I guess. Yes, hustle or or willingness yeah, or willingness. That's a great way of putting it. I mean, it, it really is. It's it's our hustle stat. Um, I <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's the way to do it. It's, that's the way. So you know, it, you know, when you have twelve leagues, it's nice to have a couple of leagues where the hustle stat doesn't matter as much, and you can like. In my score sheet, my 12 team AL only score sheet league, um, hustling is not going to get me very far. Um, so, uh, and, you know, and saves don't even really matter that much. So, it's good to have, it's, I think it's good to have a mix, actually. I think, you know, it keeps me sharp to, to have leagues where I need to get on that wire and, and pick up Vinic Castano the minute that uh, Chris Perez starts blowing his first save opportunity, you know? No. I want to get to this uh, this idea of closers momentarily, um, or revisit it momentarily. But you mentioned that you're in 12 leagues, which is a lot of leagues, um, and it's certainly, I imagine, at some level, it's hard to be invested sort of personally. So if you watch a game, you know, you might have a, uh, for example, the uh, as we're talking right now, the the White Sox and the Rangers are playing, um, and you know, a player like, uh, you know, like Mike Napoli is playing, right? So say you you know you could theoretically have Mike Napoli in two or three leagues, but not have him in you know in the other uh, nine or ten. Um, so at that point, maybe you, on the one hand you're cheering for Mike Napoli, on the other hand you're not because maybe you you know because obviously one of your competitors is going to have him. But I wonder um, from that I know you posted recently players that appeared on many of your rosters, um, and I thought we might just visit those. Briefly, I think Lucas Duda was one of those players who's on like seven of the twelve teams you own. Um, maybe talk about Duda or some of the other players that appeared on on uh, uh, more than one roster for you. Yeah, actually, Duda was was the inspiration for that photos because I was worried. Um, you know, people in my chats and people, everyone knows that like, you know, I'm the Lucas Duda guy, I guess. Um, and uh, and I was kind of worried. So I was like, well, let me see how many teams he's actually on. Because if I have him on 12 of my 12 teams, then I really do have a Lucas Duda problem. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer. If I do, maybe I do have a problem. I have him on seven teams. But it, to me, I was sort of like, oh, phew. At least I have five teams where I don't have Lucas Duda. <laughs> but uh, I guess 
and one of the two of them, I think, are AL only. So uh-oh, I have a much seven of ten teams. Oh yeah, well, right. um, if you are in AL only now, do you um, now you because you also you know I know that uh, the Mets are the, probably the team you follow more closely than any other. Uh, of course, you live now in the Bay Area, so I'm sure that you know the Giants are on your mind, and I think you grew up uh, in Atlanta, so you you know it's, you know like your uh, like we know about your ethnic heritage, your um, your team allegiances are maybe spread out a little bit, but you obviously write for Amazing Avenue. I wonder if, in sort of like this uh, self-examination, if if it you know it occurs to you that partly your Mets fandom has gotten uh, has uh, clouded your judgment with regard to fantasy baseball. Yeah, and that's that is uh, you know I definitely got accused of being a homer uh, more than a couple times, um, and that's something you just gotta. That's something that's another reason I did that. I wanted to sort of self-examine. But you know, my second, um, my second, I had Matt Joyce in seven leagues, and I had Jaime Garcia in six or seven leagues. So, you know, there are just guys that I found to be undervalued in most of my drafts. Well, and let's talk. Let's talk about jo- uh, Joyce uh, briefly. Um, what uh, What about Joyce? Is it do you think that you are seeing? Or that we can expect from him that uh, you know maybe other owners are not. Um, I think that I just see the value of. I think this comes up with Duda actually as well. I think that I see the value of a platoon guy, especially a guy that um, is, is on the hefty side of the platoon. So a guy that I can put in against right-handed hitters and will give me seventy-five percent of a great season. Um, is worth more to me than probably like a, I don't know, maybe like a Jose Devada guy that, you know, I can plug in against anybody, but, you know, won't, won't give me that much. So I'd rather, and we all, most of us have bench spots, so why not have these guys like Joyce and Duda on your bench, especially on your bench, because then you can sort of, you can avoid, you know, any sort of lefty-lefty matchups, even if, we're not sure yet mathematically that these are necessarily uh, problems. I mean, you know, we learned from the book that, you know, a lefty-right platoon split isn't supposed to be necessarily believable until 1,000 PAs or whatever. But I think that you can watch guys and you can see them come up through the minor leagues and you can listen to his coaches talk about them and you can know that they might have a platoon problem. And so if they might have a platoon problem, you might as well have a guy like Joyce on your bench and play him against righties and just be safe about it, you know, and, and just and just maximize every plate appearance that you can no, I'm with curious, your own platoon. I'm curious, are, are you more likely to pick up a player like that um, who's in an AL uh, an AL team, who's on an AL team as opposed to an NL team, um, just to avoid uh, situations where that type of player um, might be taken out for a pinch hitter or might, or, or might go in as a pinch hitter? Um, when when maybe he's on your roster, uh, thus adding to uh, you know, or I should say counting against uh, like a games a games maximum a games cap. It's that's uh, it's an interesting thing, and and it, yeah, I think you know, yes, it can be a problem. I mean, even even with Joyce, it can be a problem uh, because they can bring on a, a loogie you know in the American League and effectiveness for that. That bad or whatever, um, but I do think that uh, you know I don't want to have I don't want to have extreme splits, and I also think that 
the guys that I pick, I, I think that there's a chance that they can overcome that split, you know? Um, a guy like Garrett Jones uh, is a little bit less interesting to me because he's going to be strictly platooned and he's in the National League. Um, and, you know, all those things that you were saying apply to him. He could be taken out early. Um, he's at a stage in his career where I think we can safely say he's a platoon hitter and nothing more. With Joyce and Duda, I can only say, hey, there's a chance they're an everyday hitter. Um, and the, the chance that they'll stay in the game, even against a lefty pitcher, you know. So I, I do, I do, I would, would prefer my platoon bench bat guy to be a little bit younger. Now, uh, also one of the other players uh, that you picked seven times, so uh, Dude was one of them. We just discussed Joyce in brief. You picked him six times. Uh, was was Jaime Garcia, who uh, by all accounts had a fantastic season last year. And uh, but it seems still um, that perhaps you're more optimistic about his 2012 than you know a lot of the owners uh, uh, against whom you're, you're competing. Yeah, uh, I mean we actually had, and the reason I I guess the season started, so I can kind of uh, break out some of these things. But we had uh, in Fangraphs Plus we had this great article about expected K percentage. Um, and it was based on swinging strike and velocity. And Michael Barr found this really kind of cool expected uh, strike percentage um, uh, uh, like equation. And using that equation, you can just plug in velocity. You can just plug in um, swinging strike rate. And you can find you can find uh, strikeout rate. And and Garcia came out um, well on top of the, on that one. Um, and then Mike Podhorst, who just recently did a piece, it's been a little controversial about spring training stats and about uh, particularly walk rates and strikeout rates for pitchers being somewhat meaningful in spring training. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a good p-value, so it's a, it's a significant finding. The correlations themselves are actually a little bit low. So um, it's something like spring training strikeout rate might predict 30% of regular season strikeout rate. But... Once again, Jaime Garcia came out on top of that analysis. So we have a guy who has a great sinker. We know that he's going to get ground balls just from his, his entire history coming up in minor leagues, his arsenal. We know that he can do ground balls. Um, and um, so that gives me the sort of home run safety. You know, I don't think he's going to blow up. I don't think he's going to give up a ton of home runs. He pitches in a nice pitching park. Um, and he's had better control numbers in the past. So there's this chance that his whip gets better. He's a very high floor guy, you know, in my mind. And we've done two pieces of research that have said that his ceiling is higher than some people might might, might put it. Yeah, and and um, even with a pitcher like that, um, like Garcia, where if you know if we look at the the, the different components of um, FIP, fielding independent uh, pitching, which is you know home run prevention, uh, inducing strikeouts, and avoiding walks. Um, from a fantasy standpoint, it seems, if you have the home run prevention and you have the strikeouts um, and the walks are a little bit elevated, which is going to, you know, contribute, you know, that in tandem, of course, with the strikeouts is going to contribute to maybe shorter outings. Something that that, that may hurt uh, his real-life value a little bit is is perhaps not as quite of uh, – as quite as not the, – the hit in fantasy is not quite as large because you're at least getting the per-inning value. Yeah, and there's another uh, interesting fantasy real split there. 
ground ball pitchers tend to have lower ERAs, not because of any sort of intrinsic thing. It's because ground balls tend to lead to errors more often, and so therefore a run becomes unearned. So if you actually look at straight runs allowed, you might be comparable to some other pitchers in real life that aren't as tasty, but in fantasy, you know, his ERA will be lower because there will be some, some errors out there. Right, yeah, that's actually a point, and, and maybe this is the same the case for you. I know that's the point that came to my uh, attention, or was really brought home for me, I guess. Um, I think this winter, uh, Dave Cameron wrote a piece on Mark Burley um, and looked at the differences between his uh, his ERA minus, which is essentially ERA relative to league average, uh, that um, versus his uh, fit minus or ex-fit minus, and um, you know, revealed the fact that, or you know, pointed to the fact that um, uh, because he gives up a, lo- a lot of batted balls, and a lot of those batted balls are on the ground, uh, you know, Burley is actually, if you look at his runs allowed, there's there's a greater split, I guess, between his runs allowed and his uh, and his uh, earned runs allowed, and um, than it would be for a normal pitcher. I think a normal pitcher generally has uh, what about uh, his his earned runs are typically about like 92% of his total runs allowed um, over over a large sample, and, and Mark Burley's earned runs are maybe uh, you know just you know 85% or you know 87% or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean people think that when we disparage ERA, it's mostly about um, luck and Babbitt and stuff, but. I think this is another sort of key component to why ERA is a little bit iffy. Right, but still... Or, or, or a lot bit iffy. <laughs> right, well, yeah. But, of course, regardless of that, um, it is a category in uh, a lot of different fantasy leagues and therefore not to be ignored entirely. Uh, right. Even if it doesn't necessarily have predictive value. Um, um, oh, we were talking about closers um, and the sort of... Uh, especially the... The uh, great deal of unrest uh, in, among the uh, certain closing situations right now. You mentioned Chris Perez. Uh, Chris Perez, I think, entered Thursday's game. Uh, was it a two or three run lead? Something to that effect. Uh, three run lead. Yeah, three the, run lead. Uh, the, I, night, the, the easy save, supposedly. Uh, and he did not convert it. Yeah. And in fact, I think it, it only took him five. Uh, five batters face to give up three runs to something to that effect. <laughs> uh, the velocity yeah, it was not good. I mean, yeah, the, um, a thing about the velocity though, uh, it was not necessarily done. Um, Jeff Zimmerman checked all of the velocities of all of the pitchers um, in that game, and all of them were down about two miles an hour. So the gun might have been off. Okay. Um, so even being mindful of that, it. It, it, it does seem as though uh, Chris Perez, um, he was having problems regardless. Yeah, yeah it was not just velocity. I did, I did like a, a, a the, the easy sort of snapshot for me about Chris Perez is uh, of the top 30 uh, pitch, relief pitchers and saves last year, uh, he was ranked worse than 25th in strikeout rate, walk rate, and ground ball rate. In all three. Yeah. So he's essentially, I mean, he, that would lead me to believe that he's one of, you know, uh, the, he's probably my, the, the worst my, closer. 
yeah, I would say that, that makes him the worst closer. Because if you look at guys with ground ball rates, you got Brandon Lee. You know, he's actually a pretty good pitcher, but he doesn't he doesn't score that highly in strikeout rate or whatever. But he's got a great ground ball rate. You know, there's nobody else that you can think of that just doesn't do any of those things. Francisco Cordero, there, um, but he's no longer a closer. Right, and I'm curious about uh, uh, how does Jose Valverde, um, how, how well is he quoted by those rankings? Because uh, he, he certainly his uh, saves record last season, um, he, during which he was perfect in however many save attempts, uh, it, it was not necessarily representative of his true talent. It's true, it's true. He's He's worse than people might give him credit for. The thing is, uh, he had a split finger for a while that got his ground ball rate up to like 50% for a while. Uh, I don't know if that held true last year. Uh, and he usually strikes out about eight per nine at least. So even when his control isn't great, at least he strikes out more than the ground ball guys and, uh, probably has maybe an average strikeout rate for a closer. Okay. All right. So, you know, he's got the average strikeout rate for the closer. He's got the, some ground balls from the split finger. You're right, though. He's 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 a little iffy. But I, you know, uh, Joaquin ben, Benoit. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. The a great French uh, relief pitcher. <laughs> yeah. I can't. I can't win. I can't win for losing. Anyway, no, I think you're right. Guy, I'm sure it's Benoit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. It's Benoit. Um, that guy. Uh, I guess he should be on sort of deeply um, rosters, but I'm I'm unsure about mixed leagues. I'd rather be looking at uh, Chicago. They haven't even named a closer in, in to the White Sox yet. So there's there's Addison Reed, uh, Thornton, uh, Hector Santiago, all sort of in the scrum there. There's Pistano, you know, in the wings. Um, there's Brad Lidge and Henry Rodriguez in Washington for the time being, and Joel Peralta, and I think Jake McGee will be a sort of lefty-righty platoon in Tampa. Oh, and not Kyle Farnsworth. Well, Farnsworth is out four to six weeks. Oh, he is. Oh, tell me more about that. I, he, that's Wait, uh, because he just started a game the other day. What happened to him? Farnsworth? Yeah. He has a uh, he has a, uh, a, a what they call a strain in the elbow, and a strain is a tear, so that's significant to me. But uh, to call it a strain suggests that it's um, not as big of a deal. And today they came out with four to six weeks. Um, someone called me on this in the in the in the chat, so I'm going to try and call up these numbers real quick. But to me, Peralta is a bit of a rookie. Um, he has, I, you know, that's that's how I sort of put him in my brain. So I was, I've always been thinking that Joel Peralta would need sort of a lefty caddy. Is that your word for think? Caddy. You know, to say that that something is put in your brain. Is that, what does that mean? He said, is that a synonym for the word think for you? To say that uh, Joel Peralta <laughs> is put in your brain because that we have a word, a verb for that. It's to think. I, I think categorize. I would categorize him as such. But I, I was wrong. Uh, I mean, I was wrong about his arsenal today. He's not a fastball slider guy. He's a fastball curveball step finger guy. So uh, his arsenal doesn't suggest that he's a rookie. And uh, now I'm calling up his splits. 
see. Maybe I've been wrong about him. Yeah. I mean, I there are a ton of players, and you know, you kind of put people in boxes, and you got to be careful to reevaluate. So that's right, especially I'm since uh... right now. Oh, FIP four eight four against lefties, three seven four against righties. So there's something there, but he's been better recently. So. It's not a big deal, but I think the, the okay that was the bag on him in Cleveland. He had he had FIPs over seven against lefties in Cleveland. On uh, Peralta. Yeah. Okay. He was really bad, and then once he moved to Tampa, he got, he he ironed that chance out. So um, I guess uh, maybe I was a little bit wrong about him. He, he, it's been mostly about control. He had terror controlling his lefties, and he's gotten a handle on that. So. All right. Well, that you know, uh, I think for the next six weeks. I think that uh, in addition to learning um, about uh, fantasy uh, baseball strategy on this podcast, we're also learning about ourselves. <laughs> right. The, um, remember, so, you know, as all the folks we said, remember to keep those doors open. Don't. Don't close the doors of perception. Always keep them open. Okay, yeah. Very uh, wise uh, and sage advice, courtesy, you know, Sarah's. Uh, you know, we talked about, uh, we talked briefly about the Perez situation. Um, it appears as though he's not going to be uh, surrendering his closer role as of yet, but Vinny Pistano is probably the most natural replacement. Uh, with Farnsworth out for four to six weeks, as uh, you've uh, just mentioned, uh, we can look to see probably some combination of uh, uh, left-hander Jake McGee and right-hander uh, Joel Peralta. Um, there's also the um, the Andrew Bailey situation uh, currently in Boston, and it seems as though, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Alfredo Aceves will be assuming the uh, closing duties for the time being. Yeah, um, and, you know, before that game yesterday, uh, I was telling everybody that I thought um, it would be a temporary move and that uh, Melanson, Mark Melanson, would take over the role eventually. But um, it was a bad game for Mark Melanson. He gave up a big home run, uh, sort of lost the game, and Asavis came in and didn't help any. I think Asavis gave up the final hit that that blew the game, so... Um, it wasn't a great day for that bullpen, and people are already talking about Bard back in the bullpen, but I think those people are mostly fans. I think the team wants Bard as a starter. And, uh, I just, when I look at a service, I don't really see anything to have my hang, hang my hat on. I don't really see great stuff. I don't really see a swinging strike rate. I don't see a ground ball rate. I don't see great control. What I see is a guy that is perfect as a swingman. He can, he can, he's shown that he can retain his health while giving you multiple innings, sometimes going into the starting rotation, being an, an okay bullpen piece. That's not, that's not a guy that I, that screams closer to me. And Mark Melanson has shown the ability to get ground balls and get strikeouts and, and has had good control for two years. So I'm going to look past that first outing and, and even look past what Bobby Valentine is saying right now and say, Melanson's going to have more saves than a series. By the end of the season. And, and Andrew Bailey is expected back when? Well, the uh, the idea was uh, that he might come back around the All-Star break. It might be a three-month thing. We just had a piece on Rotor Raps just last week quoting a trainer um, and saying that that surgery that he had on his thumb is a big deal. And um, 
that there's a chance um, there's a chance that it's a four to five month thing. So if, if we're talking August, we could be looking at this all year. Uh, right, and, and that would that would theoretically not include any you know possible setbacks. Um, exactly. That no, yeah, and, and it is Andrew Bailey <laughs> who's had many setbacks. Right. Right. So, right. So that that's uh, some a situation to look at. And you're seeing at this point that even though Aceves has been named the closer for the time being, um, that ultimately, uh, if you had to uh, if you had to guess, you'd say that Melanson would end up with the the majority of the save opportunities there. Yeah, that's I. I'm gonna think with that chip, I guess. Okay. Now, uh, in terms of other closer situations. Uh, um, some of those are, or I guess some of your thoughts on relief pitchers have been apparent to me, uh, given some of the moves you've made in our uh, Fangraphs Writers League. Uh, for example, not very long ago, uh, this is sort of towards the end of March, um, you added Jonathan Broxton while cutting um, uh, Joaquim Soria. Um, uh, obviously, Soria out for the season of Tommy John surgery. Uh, in Kansas City now, it's a it's a um, uh, Greg Holland uh, versus Jonathan Broxton. Jonathan Broxton, who has been dominant, Greg Holland, who's been dominant as recently as last year. Yeah, you know, it's it's a funny thing because I do know that, especially in our linear weights league, um, that in those leagues where you have either linear weights or six plus holds that try to um, give credit to good relief pitchers. Um, there's still something about closers because, for example, in your weights, close, a save is worth a point more than a hold. But there's something beyond that. Once you're a closer, you're used as a closer. You're used very regularly and you're used in winning games and you know, you're used when the team has the lead and you're used in a situation in which you can earn a save easily. Um, and... I think set-up guys are just way less predictable. They're used in losses. They're used in tie games. They're used, they're used, you know, less predictably. And so, you know, I, Holland wasn't an, op- an, op- an option for me in that league, so Broxton was an easy pickup. But I'm not going to keep Surrey around, you know, for a full year. And uh, I was already getting, you know, roster crunch in that league. So... Uh, Broxton was an easy choice for me just because I know that for the time being at least they're going to use him in a just predictable manner. Now, in another uh, in another move, you cut uh, San Diego's Bradley Boxberger, who's had some very excellent strikeout rates uh, in the minors, and you picked up uh, Washington Nationals relief pitcher Henry Rodriguez. Yeah, uh, they, they named the, the first naming was Henry Rodriguez for closer, and then they went back on their word and put religion there. So uh, I don't feel as good about that one. But you know, it's I think that Alanu has a sort of um, a sweet spot for minor leaguers that is probably around five or six. Or you know, I, I wouldn't want much more, many more minor leaguers um, on my roster than that. So to to have a minor league relief pitcher on my roster seemed um, like a bauble in a way that wasn't going to be super useful to me. If I hear that he's coming up, I'll be interested in him once again. But 
uh, to, to store that guy on my roster seemed um, like it was a bit much. And, and we should say that, that, that this is uh, related to the news that uh, Drew Storen has uh, some manner of elbow elbow injury? Yeah, I think that his is uh, supposedly um, a lot less severe than all the rest that we've been talking about. So uh, I read most recently that he uh, that he pitched and he pitched well and he, and, he, and he didn't feel any repercussions and that he's uh, he's ready to go uh, pretty soon. So it might be a lot of ado about nothing in, in Washington. Uh, oh boy! Well, that's just. Business as usual in Washington, D.C., isn't it? <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, I want to mention this. I want to talk about the game very briefly. Fangraphs the game. I believe this is the first time we've been able to talk about it um, uh, without uh, you know, merely making um, sort of askance references to it. Um, but uh, it, has been un- it has been unveiled to, uh, to the masses. And uh, it is now, you know, it's now active. Uh, I'm curious as to what your sort of uh, first impressions are of the game, you know, just generally speaking, but probably more from a strategic uh, point of view as well. I think it's, uh, I think it's a little tougher than the game we had last year. Um, the the prices are set, um, you know, very well. I think, and it's it's. I think it's going to be a hard game. Because it's hard enough to to predict, you know, a game's outcome, and and we have to. Well, what we're trying to do is predict the player's outcome. And um, at first, I thought that we'd all be all stars, but I think over the course of the season, you know, the players and the people that make good picks will also make bad picks. And I think I think in general, we'll be because we'll be doing, you know, we'll be trying to identify good platoon situations, and we'll be picking. Uh, good hitters against bad pitchers and that sort of deal. Um, we'll definitely, the, the fan graphs, the game universe will be, um, you know, it will be a step above the actual game in terms of, you know, your average wobble and all that stuff. Um, but um, I do think it'll be hard. I think it'll be hard. I was, just, I was just looking at the prices, and every time I thought, oh, this guy, and then I was like, well, you know, for linear weights. Like today I picked Eric Ibar because he's going up against uh, Bruce Chen. Uh, and he's got the platoon advantage. But Eric Ibar is not like a, you know, a Waba all-star, you know? So, uh, well, actually, yeah, I, that, that's for, also dirty. Yeah, for me, that's actually a, a, a nice component of the game is that you're not always necessarily picking great players, which is a reality of actual baseball. So, for example, today right. at shortstop, um, I don't have Eric Ibar, but I do have Cliff Pennington, uh, who's not. Mm. Who's not necessarily at the top of the charts in terms of offensive production, but he's facing right. Jason Vargas, who, especially when you talk about um, many teams uh, rolling out their number one starters, uh, because it's you know for a lot of teams making their debuts today, um, it it was it's hard to find opposing pitchers who are uh, that bad, know, right? <laughs> well, Vargas is fine, but you know. Uh, and, and the other, the other thing is, I think Pennington's game is not really based around home runs. It's based around making a bunch of contact and hitting line drives, and so that kind of plays wherever he is. So you know, I forget whether they're either at Oakland or Seattle, but in either case, you're dealing with a park that. That'd be about the home runs, true. Right. I yeah. think I went through a sort of similar process with uh, with Ibar and Chen. 
Right, and of course Chen is is another. Uh, yeah, I think it was probably, uh, but he's not what you'd call a typical ace. He's not. Uh, I'm sure. Right. Uh, from by all accounts, he's a he's a very kind person and um, a comedy a comedy aficionado <laughs> too. I think, uh, which I like, but um, maybe not a maybe not a true. How would you call a true number one pitcher? No, I don't think so. Maybe like a true number four. But, uh, yeah. I look forward to it. I, I actually, I don't know what happened. I thought I made picks yesterday, but I, I can't find any trace of them. Uh, so I, I, I got that. I messed that one up. But I didn't make picks um, in the Seattle Open series on purpose. Yes, um, that was because, probably smart, right? Oh, unless you were taking pictures. I think I did well with Bartolo Colon during that. Ah, uh, that might that would have been a good pick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just wasn't sure exactly how that part would play either, so um, I kind of just stayed away from the first one. So today is actually my first day of uh, of, of a full slate of players. So. Now here, let me ask you: Have you are you doing uh, are you doing the relief pitching option? No, no. With twelve leagues, I I just uh, couldn't manage that. Um, so I'm I've got um, Boston SP. Um, I'm doing uh, Mets shortstop and uh, Giants first base. Okay. So I'm 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 trying to show Bruce Bochy what he could have gotten if he played Bruce Belt all year. Well, I was you said Bruce Belt, uh, who's maybe Brandon Bruce Belt's Bell. brother, yeah. <laughs> but I was thinking that I was going to say as a, I as, should name my character Bruce Belt <laughs> as, the, as the Giants' first baseman. I was I was going to say you don't have to worry about Brandon Belt. Yeah, you should just really really have to worry about Aubrey Huff, I guess, or uh, Brett Pill, maybe. <laughs> oh yeah. No, actually they're playing uh, they're playing Aubrey Huff in the outfield, so they're they're uh, they're just uh, trying to get another chalk outline there in the outfield. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's not bad at least that they have. Uh, two relatively mobile outfielders playing the other two positions. Maybe uh, you could utilize the shift to your advantage as long as Huff is uh, safely contained in, in left field, which is the more forgiving um, position, I guess, or the most forgiving position in that outfield. Because isn't isn't that right center field area the the very difficult one? Yeah, they've got a triple, triple valley there. Uh, they've got three or four corners where balls bounce around a lot, so it's true, but, you know, they tried Aubrey Huff out there in the field before, and they literally drew a chalk outline of him after a game, and his first comment about being the left fielder was, uh, I'm going to play it like a hockey goalie, no heroes, I'm just going to knock it down. Okay, yeah, not sure how that's going to help his, uh, <laughs> his UZR or plus-minus stats, but, uh, no, I mean, it'll be amusing, so. I suppose, yeah. All right. Uh, well, listen, uh, you know, of course, we're, we're almost 40 minutes into this, and you and I have a meeting to get to, a real live business meeting. Um, so we should, uh, we should, uh, we should probably get going. But um, I want to, uh, I want to thank you for sharing your your sage fantasy advice for us. And according to Aldous Huxley, this is always a bonus, right? You're gonna do what? What about Aldous Huxley? Quoting, quoting Aldous Huxley was always a bonus. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Not a fan <laughs> yourself, I guess. No, I think it's fine. I just, I, I just you know, Eno Saris quoting Eno Saris. That's what I'm after. <laughs> just being himself. Well, you got tons of it. All right. All right. Uh, that is uh, I have fantasy. Uh, Rotographs editor and uh, Pan Fangraphs contributor 
Enoceros, and father-to-be, is that also another thing? Any any minute now. God, that's frightening. It is. I mean, frightening to think of you in, as in charge of someone else's health and well-being. <laughs> Besides your no, own. No, that's exactly how I meant it. Yeah, okay, well, good. I definitely good. frightened by that process. Good, all right, well, there were on board. Anyway, yeah, uh, father-to-be, uh, rotographs expert, uh, and editor Eno Saris. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.